Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are so many great things going on at Collective right now, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. A little over a week ago, the check engine light came on in my truck, so I made an appointment to get it checked out. And I went to a local place that provides a loaner vehicle because my wife and I knew we couldn't go without two cars for the better part of a week. And so after dropping off my truck, the guy who was helping me told me to hang tight for a moment while he went to get the loaner. And as he walked out the door, he peeked his head back in. He said, hey, I only have a minivan. I hope that's okay. And I thought, no, that is not okay, right? I'm not a soccer mom. I don't have so many kids, I lose count of them. I have no desire to roll up next to another minivan driver and talk about how much I love a minivan because that's not who I am. Now, before all you minivan loving and driving people out there come find me after second service, don't waste your time on that. I'm not judging you for driving a minivan, I get it. You have a ton of kids, right? You don't know what to do with them. I understand you want that last row to fold in so you can buy more plants and go to Costco more. That's okay. It's just not my vibe. So imagine how I felt when the dude rolled up in a 2006 powder blue Toyota Toyota Sienna. This van was so old that it had a six CD changer in it. Do any of you remember that? Like that was part of the car. 20 year olds are like, what's a CD? You play music on it, you put it in this thing. But I was driving it the other day and I can actually hear, you know that sound when there's a CD in there, right? And I was like, I think there's still CDs in this CD changer. So I hit play, REO Speedwagon. <laughs> I was like, okay, not, not really what I wanna listen to today. Let's go to the next one, Hillary Duff. I was like, all right. So I felt like I was my father and my childhood self at the same time. And so for three days, I was stuck driving this van and I hated it, right? And I didn't even realize at first, but every time I parked it, I found myself explaining to the people I was meeting up with why I was driving this van, even if they didn't ask, like they didn't even care. I almost explained to a complete stranger in the Wawa parking lot why I had this van, because I felt like he looked at me in a certain way, like, why is this guy driving a powder blue minivan with 160,000 miles on it? And I was like, I need to explain this to you, stranger. And I don't know why, that's how I acted. But subconsciously, I think it's that I didn't want people to think differently of me, right? Or judge me for driving this car or have an opinion about the car I was driving. Really, what it did was it made me feel insecure. Insecurity is the feeling of inadequacy and uncertainty. It produces anxiety about your goals, relationships, and your ability to handle certain situations. Insecurities are often related to standards set by people we interact with, such as our family or our friends, peers, or societal expectations. Like, what does culture think? And insecurities may be legitimate, but most of the time they are perceived, right? They're things that we are picking up even though no one's saying these things to us. And insecurities develop when we compare ourselves to other people and we feel less than. They occur when we feel like we don't measure up to this expectation of where we think we should be. It comes from those times that we have struggled or failed at something. 
And insecurities can pop up at any time in our life, but typically they start in childhood when we have these feelings of worthlessness and they carry over into our adulthood, impacting how we see ourselves and how we interact with other people. Now, if I could sum up insecurity in one very short sentence, it would be insecurity is the feeling of not being good enough. It's this lack of confidence in who we are, in our abilities, in our gifting, in our self-worth. And when we think about the things that we carry, I'm not sure insecurity comes to our mind because it feels so small. Insecurity does not feel as heavy as bitterness. It doesn't feel as devastating as grief or life-defining as shame. It just doesn't. Insecurity feels like one of those things that we just have to push through. It's just one of those things that if we just believe in ourselves, everything will be okay and it will go away. But if you struggle with insecurity, you know that it isn't that simple. I said a few weeks ago that this sermon series was all about the stuff behind the stuff. And we're not going to talk about the marriage problems. We're not going to talk about the addiction or the self-sabotaging or the anxiety. But we're going to talk about the stuff that we're covering up, the things that the addiction is covering up, the stuff that brings out the anger, the stuff that leads to these walls that we put up that keep people out. Now tell me that insecurity isn't one of those things, right? that this isn't a weight that we carry every single day. Now, I would argue that every person on the planet struggles with insecurity in one way or another. Insecurity is that feeling you get when you walk into church for the first time and you wonder, will anyone there care about me? And that's because you aren't sure you are worthy of being cared for. It's when you send that text and you know, it's vulnerable or you're taking that risk or you're sharing something on your heart and you see those three dots appear and then they disappear and you get into your own head because you think that you aren't worth a response. It's the feeling you get when your boss calls you into his office and you can't help but think you botched a big project because you see yourself as somebody who always falls short. It's when you're scrolling through social media and you start thinking that everyone else around you has their life together, but you just feel lost. It's when you're in public and your kid has a meltdown and you feel that everyone in Chick-fil-A is staring at you and judging you as a parent. And it makes you question whether or not you're cut out for this. You start to think this isn't what I'm supposed to do. That is insecurity. And so in this series, we've been digging into heavy things. And the reason we're doing this is because Jesus says that if we link up with him, we can live freely and lightly. And that is something that we want. Matthew 11:29 29 through 30 in the message says this, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When we walk with Jesus, when we follow his lead, when we see how he lives through reading the Bible, when we choose to live in the grace that he offers, we begin to live freely and lightly. And let me just say this. I am really proud of those of you who are really digging in in this series I've had some wonderful conversations in the lobby. I've gotten emails and text messages. Karen, who shared with me last week about grief, had conversations with people as well. And many of you are choosing to let go of these weights that you've been carrying. There are people in this church right now who've been carrying things for over 30 years and they are choosing to let go. There are people in this church who are being real about their pain and their brokenness and they're letting Jesus do work on their souls. There are people in this church who are learning that real strength doesn't come from carrying these heavy things, but real strength comes when we choose vulnerability. 
when we choose to trust in God, when we begin to let go, when we begin to forgive. Right now, as I speak, there are five men at the Crucible Men's Retreat doing incredibly hard work to heal and grow and become the men of God that they are called to be. And while they aren't here to hear this, I'm especially proud of them because they had about three weeks to make a decision to get up and go, and they did it. You see, when we begin to be honest about the things that are sitting in the depths of our souls, and more importantly, when we begin to trust God to carry those burdens with us, we will start to live freely and lightly. And many of you are doing the hard work and you are taking steps to experience that right now. And I'm proud of you. That is a hard thing to do. And I know for many of you, this series has been a really heavy one. We've talked about some things that are just messing with you. And you've been thinking about them all week as you try to figure out how to let go of them. But I also know that even though we're talking about these hard topics, you feel a little lighter today and you feel a little freer today. And that is because you are trusting Jesus. Let's keep talking about insecurity. Insecurity comes out in all areas of our lives. There's relational insecurity, job insecurity, body image insecurity, and social insecurity. And it presents itself in many different ways. One of the ways insecurity presents itself is low self-esteem, which means you think badly about yourself or your abilities. But it also comes out as perfectionism, which is the ability to never be satisfied with your own progress. I always feel like there's a little bit more that you can do to control and refine this project, this thing that you're working on yourself until it's perfect, even though you know it'll never be perfect. It comes out as social isolation, as poor job performance, poor marriage performance, poor relational performance. It comes out as depression. It comes out as anxious or avoidant attachment styles. Anxious attachment styles are characterized by emotional dependence or relying on someone else for your own emotional well-being. It's the fear of being alone and these fantasies that you make up in your head about these perfect relationships that can never actually be fulfilled. Avoidant attachment styles lead to people keeping relationships at a distance, keeping them superficial and disengaging when things start to get a little bit more personal. Now, I do want to point out, though, that insecurity is different than shame. We're going to talk about shame next week. And while insecurity and shame have a lot of similarities, because both of these things impact how we view ourselves, shame is this weight that we carry that's tied to our mistakes in our past. Insecurity is thinking less of ourselves because, really, we think other people think less of ourselves. And there is a huge difference there. When we struggle with insecurity, It comes out in many ways. It comes out as defensiveness. It comes out as impatience and being short with other people. It comes out as being distant to the ones that we love. It comes out as walls that we put up to stop other people from getting to know us. It comes out as arrogance and pride. Insecurity and pride are practically the same thing. They have the same root, which is thinking too much about yourself. Right? Pride is thinking too highly of yourself. Insecurity is thinking too low of yourself. But most people who struggle with pride are really just insecure. They're afraid that other people will see their insecurity as weakness, so they do everything they can to make it seem like a strength. But they're the same thing. Right? They both come from the way that we see ourselves. Insecurity also comes out as the fear of failure fear of taking risks, fear of trying new things, fear of vulnerability. Insecurity keeps us stuck. It stops us from living the life that God has for us. And because we're carrying this weight, 
And if you are carrying this weight like me, you know there's this tape that plays over and over and over again in your head that says, I'm not good enough. Why would anyone love me? And I'm just gonna fail if I try anyways. And so if insecurity is a weight that you are carrying, you know this, you feel the impact of this every single day because it sits in your soul and it pushes on every part of your being. Let me talk to those of you who are married for a second. What is the impact of insecurity on your marriage? If you feel inadequate as a spouse, what is the impact of that on your relationship? Some of you live in a tense marriage because you are both so in your head about the way your spouse sees you. And really what it is, is that you think that they think that you aren't good enough and it causes you to be impatient, defensive, short-tempered. But even more so, how many of you men don't ask your wives out on dates because you are afraid of rejection? You're afraid your wife will say no. Or or how about this one? How many of you are afraid to initiate sex with your spouse because you are insecure about the way you look? And so you assume that your spouse isn't attracted to you. Or for those of you who are married, you're afraid to initiate sex because you're afraid that they will reject you because you don't feel like you are good enough. Insecurity destroys marriages. It's you being in your head, thinking what they might be thinking about what you're thinking about yourself. Just have a conversation, right? Don't sit in that space. Let's talk about how insecurity impacts friendships. Insecurity is what stops us from truly being vulnerable because we're afraid if we're real and honest with people, they'll see who we really are and they won't like us, right? And I see this all the time. Some of you have people in your life that you get along with so well, right? You love spending time with those people. When you're done spending time with them, you feel good, You feel like your cup has been filled up, but you don't text them to hang out because of insecurity, because you're afraid if you text them that you're gonna come across as uncool or desperate, or again, the fear of rejection. One thing I hear from time to time at Collective is someone will come up to you and say, I just don't know anybody here. Well, my question is always, why do you think that is? Is it because there aren't people here? No. Is it because there aren't opportunities for you to connect with other people? Definitely not. Is it because you are afraid to put yourself out there because you are insecure? Absolutely. Let's talk about how insecurity impacts faith. And some of you are afraid to open your Bible and read because you believe that you'll not understand something and that will make you feel dumb or unfaithful or not good enough even though there are people in this room who've been reading their Bible for 50 or 60 years and pick it up and still sometimes read things and go, I have no idea what's happening here. That's a part of reading the Bible. At second service today, today, right now, we're gonna celebrate two baptisms. I'm gonna share what Brittany told us when she talked to Danielle about this. She said, the anxiety of being perfect and good enough was getting in the way of me growing in my faith and taking this next step for the longest time. But I've realized I don't have to be perfect. I'll still have flaws, but Jesus takes me as I am. Mistakes will still happen, but there's this unconditional love that stays with me. Our second baptism is Sam. Here's what he shared. He said, I want to dive headfirst into my faith. Jesus truly has been good to my family, even though looking back, I know I didn't deserve any of it. I think it's time to show baptism is a decision that I get to make on my own. Now it's time for me to fly out the bird's nest. He said, my story isn't over yet, and I know there'll be ups and downs, but I'm thankful for a church that has shown me what Jesus can do. This is my favorite part that Sam said. He said, for my family, I'm ready to take a strong leadership role to lead my wife and kids to pursue Jesus. 
I'll try my best through my actions and words and show them the grace that I've received. And the truth is, some of you should be next. You know that. Some of you know when the host comes up here and says, check that box, you sit and you stare and you think, I should do that. But you haven't yet because you are worried about what other people will think. Right? Be honest with yourself right now. What is holding you back in your faith? And so much of it is your own insecurity. It's the thought of what if they think I'm not good enough to get baptized? Even though we talk about it, it has nothing to do with being good enough. Or you think, what if they expect me to be perfect after I get baptized and I'm not? Jesus didn't expect that of you, neither do we. For some of you, it's what will my parents think if I make this decision? Will they be okay with me taking this next step, even though they had me sprinkled or christened as a baby? Will this make them look bad? For those of you who have been following Jesus for years but have never been baptized, it's, will people think I didn't love Jesus before if I get baptized now? And ultimately, your insecurity has kept you from fully trusting Jesus, from fully leaning in, from fully owning your growth. And insecurity impacts everything that we do We will never feel the fullness of these relationships or our faith or our marriage when we get in our own heads and tell ourselves we are not good enough. And so the question is, what do we do? How do we let go of this weight of insecurity that we all carry? Well, there's one verse in the Bible that I think stands out the most when it comes to this topic. It's Ephesians 2.10, and it says this, For we are God's masterpiece, He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The word for masterpiece comes from the Greek word poema, which is where we get the word poem. And I just love the imagery of this. Think about all the time and care that goes into writing a poem. Think about the thought and the intentionality and the love. One of my favorite poems is Maya Angelou's Still I Rise, She wrote, you may shoot me with your words, you may cut me with your eyes, you may kill me with your hatefulness, but still, like air, I'll rise. Robert Frost, the road not taken, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Or dreams by Langston Hughes, hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. These are just a few lines from some of the most famous poems in history. And when you read them and you hear them, even a little bit of them, you feel them. You know that they are written with care and purpose. And can't you just imagine God creating us with the same thought and intentionality, with the same purpose and the same care? Because we are his masterpiece, his poema. And so if you are taking notes today, here's the first application to write down. In order for us to let go of our insecurities, our identity has to be rooted in Jesus. Our identity has to come from God, the creator of this masterpiece, right? This poema, the creator of us. Barely one page into the Bible, the beginning of the story of God's love and redemption for his people. It says this in Genesis 1, 27. So God created human beings in his own image and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And skipping forward a few verses, it says, then God looked over all he made and he saw that it was very good. You are made in God's image, right? This is a foundational truth for your life. And if you see yourself as you are just an accident, then nothing matters. 
If, if you see yourself by your mistakes, then you're just a screw up. If you see yourself as not good enough, then what you're saying is I'm not God's masterpiece. But it's a foundation of truth of how you see yourself is that you are divinely crafted by the creator of the universe with intentionality and thought and purpose and care. This will transform how you think about yourself and how you interact with this world. Psalm 139 verse 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you in his image and he said, it is very good. And some of you, if you just simply embrace that truth and that truth alone, you will never be the same. You will realize you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not a screw up. You are made with a purpose. You are his masterpiece. Your destiny is to have good done in and through you because you are made in God's image. That is what our identity has to be rooted in. I am God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. The problem is some of you don't believe me though. You can read that verse. We can talk about it here on a Sunday morning and you don't believe this is true about you. Maybe it's true about somebody else, but not for me. And so write this down. I am God's masterpiece, right? This is the type of thing that you put on a sticky note and you read it every day. You write it on your mirror. You get it tattooed on yourself if you have to, right? I am God's masterpiece. In fact, let's do this because some of you still won't do that. You won't write it down and you'll just move on after the sermon. So I'm gonna make you do this with me. Repeat after me. I am God's masterpiece. We'll do it one more time. That's good. I am God's masterpiece. Some of you need to take the time this week to repeat that over and over and over again to let that truly sink in because we are too busy letting other people and letting ourselves define who we are. And God says, that's not how I see you. Right? We have to believe this is true. Recently, my four-year-old has been doing a lot of art. And when she finishes, she'll pick it up and she'll say, look at my masterpiece. It's absolutely adorable. And she's just so proud, proud of what she's creating. She's proud of all of her hard work, so proud of it all. Right? And that is how God looks at you. Here's Harper's latest masterpiece, though. I know, it's adorable, isn't it? I'm going to be real with you all for a moment, though. This is not going to end up in the Louvre, right? right? If I told you this was a masterpiece and I didn't tell you that my four-year-old did it, you would think that is not a masterpiece. Right? And it's okay, you can be honest. She's not in here. Like, she's, she'll be fine. Here's the thing, though. Like, when I look at this picture... Like, if I'm being honest, I'm like, I've, I think I've seen better, okay? But I feel like this picture represents my life, right? I feel like this picture represents who I am because I'm a mess, right? And I'm carrying weights that I shouldn't be carrying, and I struggle with impatience and anger. And it's a battle for me every day to create time to read my Bible, and I'm, I'm lucky if I get two or three days in a row before I fall short, right? But when I look at this picture, I think this is what I look like. This is what life feels like right now. It's a bit chaotic, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, who's in the picture, what is life like right now. And when I look at this, I don't feel like God's masterpiece, but here's the wonderful thing about God. It's not how I see myself that truly matters. It's how God sees me. And God looks at me in my mess and my brokenness. and He says, you are my masterpiece. I created you with thought and care and I love you. And the same is true for you, right? The God of the universe who created you calls you good. 
You are his masterpiece. And practically speaking, this is why I'm constantly encouraging you all to read your Bible. Because if you are not daily immersed in God's word and in his truth, then you are missing out. Right? You need to know God's words, not just for how to live your life, because it will teach you a better way to live, but you need to read those words to know how God sees you, to understand that you are his masterpiece, that he looks at you and calls you good, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he sees you as his joy, that he loves you unconditionally, that he calls you strong and capable and brave, that he sees you as worthy. And for those of you who do not read your Bible regularly, it makes sense that you are stuck in a place of insecurity. It does. Because you are receiving your identity from other things. And the source of that truth, the creator of the universe, put this thing together for us so we can see how he views us. And the Bible is full of these verses who will tell us who we really are and what we are really capable of doing. Our identity has to be rooted in Jesus. Here's the second part of this, though. In order for us to let go of our insecurities, our identity cannot be rooted in other people. And this is really the problem, isn't it? Like, we care way too much about what other people think about us. If other people think we're good, if other people think that we're capable, if other people think that we are cool, right? Insecurity is about ourselves, but one of the main causes is that we spend way too much of our time trying to figure out who we are based on other people, right? What they might think about who we are and we are allowing other people in our lives to determine who we are. I have two daughters. I talked about Harper earlier. Um, but Elise is eight years old. And um, about a year or two ago, we really started to see as a kid, as she got older, we began to fully see the weights that she is carrying, even as a kid. And if you have elementary age kids, you, you, you feel that. It's, it's kind of ridiculous how early kids pick up on these things. And a few weeks into second grade this year, she came home from school completely destroyed because a little boy had called her ugly in second grade. Uh, if you know Elise, she's adorable, but it, it crushed her. And so we talked to her about it, and I reminded her you know, that she's beautiful inside and out. It doesn't really matter what this little boy said, because who is he anyways? And Ray and I both walked away from the dinner table that night after having this conversation. We kind of high-fived each other, because we're like, man, we're crushing this thing as parents. But a few weeks later, Elise brought it up again. And so we patiently reminded her about how she's beautiful inside and out, and she doesn't need to worry about what some dumb second grade boy thinks. But you can probably guess where this is going. A few months later, she was trying on a new dress, and it wasn't looking the way she thought it would in her head. And she got mad. She threw the dress on the ground. She said, I am so ugly. Right? And these words of this punk kid are just sticking to her. Like she cannot shake them. It doesn't matter how often Ray and I try to encourage her or remind her or even correct these words. There they were. So I sat down with her and we started talking about why those words hurt so much. And I'm not really great at the parenting game, um, but she was really torn up about it. And, and so I just said, I don't really know why this kid said this thing. But what I do know is that hurt people hurt people. My guess is that this little boy is hurting a little bit. What I really wanted to say to her, though, was that the kid probably has parents that, sup that aren't super present in his life, right? He probably feels unworthy. And so the treatment of her, my daughter, comes from his own issues. Because we all know that bullying and teasing and calling kids names is a learned behavior that starts in the home. 
right? And if kids say mean things, there's probably something way bigger going on that he picked up from his parents. And listen, I would love to say that I didn't have another conversation with Elise this week about what that boy said, but it has become a regular part of our dinners and I hate it so much. And my biggest fear raising daughters is that those words will stick to them forever, no matter how much we love them, right? No matter how much we tell her how wonderful she is and how beautiful she is on the inside and out. But what Ray and I are trying to do now is we're trying to help her understand that her self-worth doesn't come from other people. It comes from Jesus. And the thing is, we're trying to encourage her to understand that we love her dearly, but her image and her self-worth doesn't even really come from us. And some of you are stuck in insecurity, and it wasn't strangers. It wasn't some punk kid in second grade. It was your parents, and you've been carrying those words for a really long time. And Ray and I recognize that. And so while we're doing our best to be positive and encouraging in Elisa's life, the best thing that we can do as her parents is to constantly remind her that she is God's masterpiece and her identity is found in him and not other people. I know that some of you are sitting here and there are words or failures or experiences or even perceptions that sit in your soul and these have turned into insecurity. And because of that, every single day you doubt yourself. And you think that you're not good enough or smart enough or strong enough because someone told you that you weren't. Or you failed at something in your past and no one was there to pick you up to tell you that it's okay to fail and it's okay to try again. But you cannot let your identity be rooted in other people. Not your parents, not your coworkers, not a little boy from elementary school, not strangers on social media. You let God do that. And God says you are his masterpiece and you can be secure in how God sees you. And that's all that really matters. Let's pray. God, I think every single one of us, um, for really kind of dig into that deep space in our souls, would say that we struggle with insecurity. God, at different parts of the day, we just feel like we are not good enough. Um, God, that we are unlovable, that we're not capable. God, that we're failures. And God, the truth is, we picked that up somewhere in our life. Um, God, we picked it up from other people. We picked it up from strangers. Maybe we picked it up from our parents. Maybe we picked it up from times that we fell short. And we've allowed so much of that to be our identity and be who we are and be how we see ourselves. So God, I, I pray this week as we wrestle with more things that we're carrying. And God, as we understand that, that some of us are carrying multiple of the ways that we've talked about in this series, God, we're working through multiple things right now. God, I pray that as we work through insecurity, the thing that we hold on to is the truth that we are your masterpiece. God, that you created us with intentionality and care and purpose and love. And then you stood back and you said, this is good. And so God, even when we don't see ourselves as good, let us be reminded that you do. And even though uh, we struggle with whether or not we think we're worthy, God, we remind ourselves that that is what you call us because you love us. And God, help us understand that our identity and who we are doesn't come from other people or our perception of what society thinks it is, but it comes from you. And God, we are so thankful, even though we don't understand it, that you see us that way. Because God, if we're being honest, we're a mess and we're broken and we don't feel really good about ourselves. And then we read your word and it says you do love us and you think we're good and worthy and capable of doing so much. So God, help us hold on to that truth. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.